Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have an amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Yusha Sadiq. Yusha is a marketing executive with over 20 years of experience in all things marketing, including digital products and operations. His career spans Fortune 500, consulting, and startups working with some of the world's largest brands like Bear Paint, Dell, and Coca-Cola. He is considered a thought leader in the marketing space after the notoriety he earned building the world's first helicopter auction site for Bell Helicopter with his bare hands. Applying his creative knowledge to his passions, Yoshi, which is his stage name, is also the founder of Comedy Wit, a production company specializing in comedy, improv, and sketch shows in the Southeast area. He also co-hosts the popular podcast, F the Joneses, with his physician and life coaches, coaching wife, Dr. Diana, which streams on all platforms. Yoshi is a stand-up comedian, improviser, and comedy writer who is an executive producer of the award-winning short film, Pop Pop is Dead, available on Amazon Prime. Yusha, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Yay. That was such uh, a good intro. Sometimes I forget what I've done. <laughs> and I have to say, I've known you for a while, but I did learn some interesting things reading your bio. I did not know you were a stand-up uh, comedian and improviser. Impro improv is something I have always wanted to learn. Um, I consider myself funny, but not in more of the comedian, like actually be up on stage kind of way. So that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Improv is one of the things that I got into years ago, but it definitely has helped from a career perspective just because within improv, you get to learn how to listen. And it's been one of the things that I've applied to my professional career. And it's been so helpful just being in a room, being able to listen, being able to spit back what people are saying, and then also be able to sort of synergize that information and tell them, okay, this is what to do with that. It's a very much yes and kind of philosophy that I've taken from stand-up and, and the stage into my professional career. So it's been super helpful. Well, you've inspired me. I'm going to put it on my list to make sure to finally Absolutely. take that improv class. These two. Um, uh, and so as we get into our conversation today, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I yeah. call buzzword banishment. Mm -hmm. So tell me what industry buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Okay. Um, there's going to be some thought leaders that do not like me for saying this, but um, can we please get rid of the funnel? I want <laughs> the funnel just be gone. And uh, I know it's been part of sort of just the marketing technology speak for such a 
very, very long time. It's in everything that we do. But man, we use it way too often. And I think it's get construed because when you think of the funnel, you think of the only thing that the funnel is, which is this, you know, V-shaped thing of start to bottom, right? And the reality is the buyer journey and what we're talking about today is completely not this, you know what I mean? It's more like a loop-de-loop kind of thing. And it's like, why do we keep talking about this funnel? So I may even still use it, but if we could get rid of it and replace it with another word, that'd be great for me. Yeah, my issue with the funnel has always been the notion that people fall out of the bottom. Like, mm. you know, it's like you think about the visual and I've even seen videos where they animate where it looks like people are jumping in yes. and then you see the people fall out at the bottom. Like that just doesn't feel like a good experience. Uh. That's such a good point. It's like you drop through and then where do they go? Right. <laughs> my son plays Minecraft and then they call it the, the void or the neither. And that's yes. like the place where you just like, fall into the nothingness and that's what the funnel feels like so i'm with you i am good to put the funnel in the box and to tie it up and to toss it uh and and then we'll go back to it when we need it but right now but yeah perfect well now that we've gotten that off of our chest tell me what brings you to revenue rehab today Well, my belief is I feel like we need to change the way we think about the customer experience and changing the buyer journey overall. And the way I think we need to do that is to redefine what that buyer journey looks like. And in terms of redefining it, I just think we have to include all the things we are now learning from the digital experience and from the digital realm back into that buyer journey. Um, As we talk about the funnel, the funnel has always been defined, like you said, right, this little V-shape where it starts at the awareness level, consideration, decision, and then you purchase, right? And now it's like, well, that's really not the reality of it. It's actually more like a funnel that goes like this and then continues on to another funnel that goes. So it's like this super hyper loop kind of thing, uh, what I call it sort of the figure eight, where there's an owner perspective and then there's a um, prospect perspective. And in the prospect, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you do. And then when you actually own the product, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do when you own the product. And then those things sort of interlude because the people who are going to buy more of your product already own your product. <laughs> we know this, right? Especially in B2B. <laughs> um, so what do you do to cultivate that? So it's really just around, I what I want to talk about as much as possible is how do we redefine what that buyer journey actually looks like, bringing in all the things that we've learned now in the past couple of years around digital and the way that um, people are getting um, tagged and the way that information is getting shared among different networks? And how do we bring that information into the entire buyer journey so we can actually have a much better customer experience for people that want to actually buy our products? I love it. And talking about the changing buyer journey is something I've been doing a lot lately. Uh, In fact, in episode 10, I got the pleasure of talking to the ladies at RepTrack around some of the data of how reputation is impacting the buyer journey and how the buyers are changing. Uh, But before we jump into really talking about this, I believe in setting intentions. 
It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience a clear understanding of what they should expect from our discussion. So tell me, what are your best hopes for our talk today? Or what would you like to be different after our session? You know, I'm hoping that your listeners really get into thinking about the buyer journey and the customer experience as an ongoing experience and as something that you don't stop doing even when you actually do get the customer. Constantly listening, constantly paying attention to your customers and paying attention to your prospects on an ongoing basis is truly the customer experience. And so my hope is that as we, you know, as the improv term, yes and, yes, they're a customer, and what else can we learn about them as we keep going on throughout this entire journey? That's what I'm hoping we truly get out of this. Uh, I will say amen to that. I am a firm believer that everything ties back to the customer experience. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you are in any department that touches revenue, customer experience is what your job is. And, you know, the rest is more the uh, execution of that. Um, so you talked about, you know, the funnel versus the figure eight or the infinity loop. I definitely subscribe to the infinity loop model because it is an ongoing relationship. Yeah. Um, so my first question for you is around the experience. So we have two things happening at the same time. We have the customer experience and how the customer thinks, how they engage with us. And we have the buyer journey, which is how we as sales and marketing are thinking about what we are trying to do. Yeah. Um, what advice or what thoughts do you have around how people can effectively marry those two? You know, I think one of the big things is once you start listening to your prospects and your customers, you will start to understand that they actually need two separate different types of experiences, right? And, and maybe not even two, probably more different kinds of experiences because you have different kinds of customers. You have customers that are super engaged, customers that are just new customers, then they just got your tool. They may not, they may be, you know, slow adopters of your tool. They just got it, but they probably won't turn it on for like a month or so. And then you've got customers that get your tool and literally are like hands down, always calling customer service, always calling customer care. How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do this? Now, the experience that they have online and digitally and their experience with your product now becomes your face, now becomes what they describe as the experience with your company and with your product. Now, that should be different based on what kind of customer that is. And so I think one, one big way um, just really to marry the two is personalization. I think there's a level of personalization that has to happen that you can do from a customer experience perspective that is super important to that buyer journey. Now, that personalization can happen on a digital front, which is super important because you can personalize the web experience. Now you can also personalize the actual product experience too, right? Which is the beautiful part about, you know, my new favorite thing, uh, PLGs and product-led growth of just customizing what that looks like. If you've got a type of customer that is just super engaged, well, give them super engaged type of content. Same thing on the web experience. If you've got a customer that, or a prospect that is just has downloaded 14 of your documents, right? Give them much more. How do you get them into the back as I, I'm about to use the word, get them into the funnel, but how do you get them engaged with more people? 
really to say, okay, now you've downloaded 14 of these things. What exactly are you looking for? Or how do you actually engage with them to actually say, what's the next thing that you want to find out? And so I think personalization is a huge part of the buyer experience and the journey in itself. And I think it's one way that organizations can truly differentiate themselves with customers overall and with prospects. Yeah, I agree. And I think one challenge that I hear come up a lot that mm -hmm. ties to the ability to do personalization and the ability to really, you know, do the kind of targeting and getting the right things in front of the right people is because the journey has changed so much, mm -hmm. it's a lot harder for marketers to actually know where people are. Like yeah. if you think about way back when sales owned the whole thing, the opportunity stage was the definition because it was like, you know, they were in awareness and then they were engaged with sales and we knew yeah. exactly where they were. Yeah. Now we don't so much because, you know, I mean, I was just talking to a client who we recognized that ROI calculators were actually more of a top of funnel asset for them. Mm -hmm. Whereas most people would see them as a lower stage, but that was, you know, like price comparison and understanding the return is something that like people are looking for straight out of the gate. Yeah. Um, and so I had a thought that I want to, you know, get your opinion on one, my idea that just popped in my head, but more importantly, <laughs> what you've seen work is, you know, we think about, we talk about personas when it comes to prospects, mm -hmm. but as you talked about the different types of customers, you know, customer marketing is something I've done a lot in my career. And we've always just deemed it customer. Like these are our customers, but really we could be giving our customers personas. Mm. Like which are those, you know, highly engaged, which are new, which are needy, uh, you know, those sort of things so that we could personalize. Um, what have you seen that has worked in terms of being able to bucket people so that you can effectively give them the right content? Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good note, Brandy. I think one thing that I, I think about and one thing that I've seen work is sort of at, at the top when you're talking about your strategy and when you're talking about really that buyer persona and building that customer persona of who your clients are, right? And in the ABM world is when you're selecting your those accounts, right? When you're selecting those types of accounts and you want to know exactly who they are, it's really defining what type of customer they are all the way through. But it's defining it at the prospect and at the customer level. And it's building it the same way you built out your buyer personas. You know, we used to do the buyer personas, not used to, some people still do. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? Peter, the pipeline generator, let's say you're selling revenue, right? Or, or Tim, the techie uh, technologist, or whatever it may be, right? Do the same thing for your customer and do the same types of marketing activities for your customer because they're all inside of your ecosystem. Let's say you've got a large email list. Well, the stuff that Tim, the techie person likes as a customer is going to be different than uh, let's say Tom, the techie person who is a prospect, as a pro as a prospect, those are two very different kinds of things. But I think the way more you segment out that experience, the more you'll get back a whole lot more a whole whole lot more data. I think the just the model, you know, 
one thing I would say that I think we've uh, gotten rid of this term of spray and pray. We've done it so much with email where we just say, all right, to the entire list, let's see what happens and let's see who reacts. <laughs> then I still fight that battle with some people. <laughs> and then you get the email open rates and then it goes down to who, who actually touched it, goes down to who actually responded, right? It's kind of very much the opposite of that, which is don't spray and pray. You know Tim, you know Tom, you know Peter, you know all of these different types of things. So personalize the experience for them. But the key to that personalizing that experience is constantly testing. Personalization is about testing. Personalization is try one thing, see if it works. If it doesn't work, try something different. And if it does work, double down on it, right? And then try it again, right? It's this constant phase. I don't want to say A-B modeling is like the key because there's other ways to model and test, but constantly testing, it's definitely going to get you a much better ROI on your actual um, marketing activities rather than just saying, oh, let's just spray and pray and see what the marketing gods give us in terms of a return. I think you just have to personalize the experience the same way we've done with prospects. And we've given, we give so much to the prospect journey, do the same thing with the customer journey, right? And do, you know, as, as you mentioned, it's just about profiling, profile them the same way that, you know, the ICP that we do for, for your accounts, do the same thing for non-accounts, right? And sort of backwards. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I think I have a few takeaways from what you just said. Number one, it drives me crazy that the personas are always rhyming. Uh, like that's always been one of those things. I'm like, why do we have to make all these things rhyme? But I won't get off on that tangent. Uh, <laughs> the more important thing that I took away from that is while I think that some people get it in terms of what they need to be doing. Cause I am a proponent of always be testing. Like yeah. there should be something that is, you know, being actively tested at all times, in my opinion. And that should be done very strategically and methodically. Um, but the pushback that I hear most often in that I'll have some clients that they're like, yeah, yeah, like I totally get it. I understand we need to be doing that, mm -hmm. but we don't have the time or the resources to dedicate to that. And For sure. I almost say like, you can't afford not to, because yeah. if you're just doing a bunch of stuff, you're likely wasting a bunch of time, resources and budget. But yeah. what do you say to people who are like, yeah, I get it. But yeah, the reality is we don't have capacity for that. For sure. I always say, I, I think of testing the same way that you talk about as, you know, your organization as a consultant and you guys have to come with that very, you know, great approach of you should try these things. You can't force anyone to do anything because you don't know, you know, as your book mentioned, like all the silos and the misaligned agendas and the competing priorities that happens from organizational side, right? You don't know what those things are. So you can only come with the best kind of suggestions that you can bring to the table. I always say when an organization sort of comes back with that, one thing that I learned, especially in the consulting world is, okay, let's just do it your way. But what if we take out 10% of your list to see what happens if we did it our way and then see the results, right? And then if, if that works, if we get different results, you know, you got 90%, we got 10%. And in this 10%, we saw something different about it. Can we push it up to 15% the next month, right? 
those email newsletters are going out maybe every month, right? Or some campaign is going out every two to three weeks. You can always find one niche of one small piece or take one persona that they're not like great at and use that to actually do the personalization or use that to do the testing. And they're like, oh, we actually don't talk to Susie, the um, <laughs> the security analyst, right? right? You can take Susie, the security analyst, right? And just use that as the test model uh, for you moving forward. Now, as a consultant, you actually get to test within your own sort of subgroup. And, you know, I think that's truly the key is you got to make some kind of headway for them to think differently than what they're used to. Because if they keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same kind of results. We've seen what spray and pray does. It doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean if, there's a, if there's an organization that says, we've been doing spray and pray since the beginning, and it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> I want to see the organization, and I want to see their numbers, right? They're um, lying. <laughs> and I can tell you, if they say that, they're lying. <laughs> I mean, we know it and you've seen it. I mean, you've, you've talked to many organizations, large and small, and there's just there's just some things that you know do not work in this new digital world. Some things just do not work the way that they used to. We are getting so much more inundated with so much more information and so much more input. And the data that we're getting is coming from so many different places. That's why I like the Six Senses, the Sales Loft, all these outreaches, all these other organizations that are able to bring in, like the Terminus, that are able to bring in other trigger points that you have no information about, right? You don't see that stuff, but they get it. It's the third-party data, right? You know what I mean? Now you can infuse that information back into your own data. That makes it even more beautiful for you to actually personalize, for you to actually do better integration with your data on. And I think that's the important part is you got to listen to all of the ecosystem. There's so much more in the ecosystem. I can't wait till Amazon starts giving out the Alexa data, right? Like, it's like that stuff is what we need to listen to what's happening. LinkedIn is giving out data, right? All these companies that have the insight into what's happening with professionals, the more data that users and prospects and organizations can see, the better it, uh, it is for us to actually customize the entire customer experience. So yeah, I want to shift gears and talk about data because uh, yeah. I know data is something that you and I are both passionate about. And right. you know, in order to personalize, in order to have an effective customer experience, you've got to have the data to support it. Yeah. Um, what would you say, you know, because there are, uh, my listeners are at all different stages in their digital transformation, which is another one of those buzzwords, um, and what data is available. And so what would you say if someone's like, yeah, we don't personalize because we don't have, you know, we don't have access to any data. Let's just say we're starting from ground zero. Yeah. What would you say are the most important things that a B2B company needs to understand to try to at least do better in providing a personalized and targeted customer experience? Okay. I think the first level of data that any organization can really get their hands around is digital web data. I think just that data itself, if you have Google Analytics, just having Google Analytics, Google Search Console, just just seeing the data from the website 
is so strikingly important because that data has a lot of rich elements into it. It tells you how long people stay on the site. It tells you where people are going. It tells you all the landing pages people are getting to. It tells you where people are exiting the site. Just that first level data, I think, is super important, which then translates into S, uh, search engine um, optimization data, whether you use like an SEM Rush or a Moz or a Neil Patel, whatever it may be. Use something to get at least first data analytics around your digital information. That's first. Then I would say probably the second thing to try to get to is use the stuff that you have in your CRM. Use the stuff that you are getting from your sales. But marry those two pieces together first. You already know. You, you don't have to ask for more CRM data. You can just have it. It's already there, right? Now, could you enhance it with the demand base or other types of tools that like enhance the data? Absolutely. But could you just use what you have already, what your salespeople are giving you? You sure can. But all this digital data, I mean, Google Analytics is just a treasure trove of information. The YouTube channel data, if you if you have YouTube on your site, the LinkedIn data, the um, Twitter data, whatever you have at your disposal, all these data points are actually free, right? Like analytics is free. You don't have to get the big package of analytics to see all this beautiful data. And I'd say, you know, the web data is the beginning. Then you can enhance it with the third-party stuff that you may have to get from like the... Um, I would say the ABM experience type of tools that are out there, like the Six Senses, the Outreach, the um, Terminus, all those other types of organizations can provide sort of what that third party data could look like. But yeah, just web digital data is a good place to start because it's available. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, it seems like simple advice, but really sound advice which is start with what you have. I think, you know, with the, we we are not far after, you know, I think it was a few weeks ago that the MarTech 90 billion at this point, you know, started off as 5,000 was released. And of course there's thousands more technologies this year than last. Um, and because there's so much available, I think a lot of times people default to buy more tech. Mm. And sometimes that is needed. Like, I'm not going to say that's never the answer, but a lot of times it really is exactly what you're saying is start with what you have and the low hanging fruit, another buzzword, uh, is to marry that data or, you know, in our world, integrate those data sources so that you can start to not have all these disparate metrics but actually put them together. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about something earlier that I think is super important, which is all of this is really tied to revenue at the end of the day, right? And anything that touches revenue, whether it's customer service, whether it's product, whether it's marketing and sales, get that data because you already know it. You know that if you have a customer service team, you can get the data of what types of calls that they have. What types of information are you getting from customers? What type of issues are people having? Use that data point. Um, Use the stuff that you're getting from your product. Your product has analytics and utilization tools and utilization metrics in it. Use that data as much as possible. Like you said, use the stuff that you have. It can be powerful already before buying more data. 
And, you know, and I think if, if need be, hire someone who's really good at bringing all that stuff together. I, if anything, don't try to solve this B2B marketing um, sort of ecosystem of revenue by yourself. It's a big honking piece of thing to try to figure out. And if you don't have the staff or someone who's focused on it, it's just get help. <laughs> or even someone that understands data at that level. Um, you know, we're going through a big data project with a client right now doing exactly this, which mm -hmm. is working with them to bring all their data sources. Like they've got a robust tech stack yep. and none of it's really connected in terms of the data. And so we're, I mean, it's about a six month project, but we're going through with them helping them to like figure it out. And one thing that I'm seeing, because, you know, I, I'm a marketer and a strategist, not an analyst. And so as I'm a part of this project, talking to the people that know how to make all the data work, it's really, really interesting, you know, of how these scripts and all these different things come together. Yeah. But it helps me understand why people don't tackle this. Because it is a skill set that yes. not everyone has. And so, you know, that's uh, my shameless plug for something that we do help with. Yeah. At Tegra. I think uh, it's <laughs> but, a really good point because, like you said, right, like I've recognized to, to the same thing. I'm a marketer. I'm a strategist myself. But when I was in the consult, when I was deep in consulting, we had people that were analysts that did nothing but fin financial modeling. And they just knew numbers. They saw spreadsheets and were like, mm -hmm, I can do this, 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 this. Yes. And I had no idea, right? Like, I was like, where's the design? You know what I mean? Like, I'd be looking <laughs> like, I can't see the trends on all of this, right? So even for an organization like yourself, you guys know, well, we have an analyst that can help just consume all this stuff. That's why I love how data scientists and data analysts are being much more marketing driven. They're seeing yeah. all the stuff that's coming from marketing and being able to analyze it because it all comes back to that revenue at the end of the yes. day, right? It's like, well, this is how our numbers are being affected. Well, how do we understand it? And how do we find the right people that understand these numbers? And sometimes you just got to get a lot of really smart people in the room to figure this stuff out. Yeah, because you can't influence what you don't understand. And that's the key. It's our goal to influence revenue. But if we don't understand what is happening, how things are performing, then we really are. And a lot of people try to think they're not spray and pray. But if we don't actually understand what's happening, hint, it really is spray and pray. Like, it, that's I mean, what's happening. It's just a yeah. little more strategic yeah. than it used to be. Yeah. And you might but, not even be spraying. You might just be praying for the entire Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about our challenges is just the first step and yeah. nothing changes if nothing changes. So we got to do the work. And yeah. in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here yeah. at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us the homework. Cause when you know better, you do better. Yeah. So can you summarize for us your key takeaways and give our listeners that one thing that they can do um, to move the needle on improving their customer experience and managing the buyer's journey. Yeah, I, I would say my key takeaway for this conversation, I think is something that you mentioned and something that we sort of collectively got to, which is the buyer journey and the customer prospect does not stop 
at just the prospect. I think it also involves the customer. And I think building out an ecosystem by which you understand your prospects, you know, whether it's a rhyming Sally, uh, the analyst, or Tim, the actual technologist, whatever that may be, use that to your advantage to understand a bigger ecosystem. But what that really means is that you're listening to your prospects and you're listening to your customers. And so my one thing that I would say is to find more ways to get more data and to learn more about what's happening in your ecosystem. And one thing that I've done in the past and I think is so helpful is to do some lunch and learns with other team members who are involved with revenue, right? Your customer service is involved with revenue. Your product teams are involved with revenue. Your sales teams and your marketing teams. You get all four of those teams together and just do a lunch and learns where you are just learning about what's happening in each of their worlds. It can be an hour. And if you're remote, you know, maybe just, uh, I would say maybe get some wine if it's like later on. Uh, but like if it's like a lunch and learn and you can't have wine during the day or something, then I'd say maybe just like just, just get some lunch and like, enjoy the time, but really share some interesting things from each one of you. One thing about what we talked about, if you're listening to customers and listening to prospects, other thing you shouldn't forget is to listen to each other and listen to the organization. Don't yes. forget the organization has data points. People in customer service know a lot that you don't know as a marketer. People in product know a lot that you don't know as a salesperson start to listen internally and that listening will get you so much further and then you don't have to spray and pray because you're now dealing with actual data points that you know i think one of the biggest things i learned about lunch and learn when i did it a while back um a lunch and learn that i did a while back was we were using acronyms as part of our search engine and we were paying a lot of money for these acronyms like just uh, not acronyms abbreviations and um, we learned that no one in the sales was using the abbreviations. No one in product was using the abbreviations. No one in customer service was using the abbreviations. It was just marketing that was using the abbreviations because we saw it on Google search and we we're like, oh, this has a lot of people and people are searching for this. And when we dropped it, we saved so much money, like thousands of dollars on not using that. And it never affected any kind of prospecting or never affected anything in the journey that we were going through and in the funnel that we were going through. So we just stopped using that term overall. So I think if we hadn't been for that lunch and learn, we would have never known that that buzzword that we were using wasn't affected and no one was actually talking about it. But we were so married to it because we saw it in some data point that was actually external to us, not internal to us. And I think that's the key is listen internally and then also listen externally but always keep listening i don't know if i can patent that but i like that though <laughs> well i like the idea of lunch and learn anytime we can involve eating and especially if there's wine you can count me in um so i love that as a takeaway and it is like an easy one thing, even if you can only schedule lunch or virtual virtual coffee or, you know, virtual wine at the end of the day with one person in the organization that may have access to different data and insight than you, that gives you a step in the right direction. Absolutely. 
Well, Yusha, I have enjoyed our discussion and that is our time today. Um, but before we go, I want to let you earn a few hubby brownie points and tell me about the F the Joneses podcast uh, yes. with your life coach wife, Dr. Diana. Tell me, what is that? I am so interested. Well, it's a podcast that we started uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic um, two years ago. And we made a move just personally to sort of just shift our whole life um, goals and objectives into being much more intentional. Uh, we moved to a house that was half the cost of what it was. We moved to a much further location and we just started living with intention. And what we recognize is that we were following this script before we did the move of just keeping up with the Joneses. And what we recognize is we we shifted our whole mindset to just be like, F the Joneses, just do us. And so we talk about it. And my wife, um, she's a physician and she has, you know, uh, and a life coach. And she's just had conversations with so many physicians, so many women that were just going through this element in their life where they were just not living with intention. And so we started the podcast just as a way to talk about any type of topics that come up with marriage, relationships, but just how to not follow that same script of keeping up with the Joneses. And so we, when we made the shift, we started talking about it on the podcast. And we talk about everything from the five love languages. We talk about kids, we talk about marriage, we talk about really everything that comes up, but living life with intention. And so this podcast is very near and dear to me, near and dear to us. We enjoy it and we've got a lot of amazing feedback from it, but it's really about just following your own journey um, as much as possible. And so, yeah, check it out. F the Joneses podcast on all streaming channels. I love that. I am one that believes in setting intentions. I have my yeah. new moon ritual of where I focus on what I, you know, what my intentions are for that moon cycle. So I will definitely add that to my podcast uh, yes, playlist. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I have it's thoroughly very, very enjoyed this discussion. Thank you, Brandy. This was fun and uh, great. Um, congrats on the book again. It's such a great read. So thank you guys. You and um, the other two co-authors, just like, it's, it's such a good hearty, like, oh yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And for those not familiar with the book he is mentioning, it is CMO to CRO, the revenue takeover by the next generation executive. And you yeah. can access it at revenuetakeover.com. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation with you, Shaw. I can't believe we are at the end already. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.